Yawa Radio, bringing the feel-good feeling to every day. A warm welcome to the Yawa Radio podcast. The Yawa Radio podcast is an opportunity again to listen to one of our inspirational, thought-provoking interviews that we have brought to the listeners of Yawa Radio. Yawa Radio is online 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We are your well-being and happiness radio station, bringing the feel-good feeling to every single day of the week. Check us out at yawaradio.co.uk. Now sit back and enjoy this podcast from the Yawa Radio team. Welcome to Jordan Space. Every fortnight, you can join me, your host, Steve Phillip, alongside Danielle and Paul from the Jordan Legacy team, together with some very special guests for an hour of conversation, music, and above all, hope. Welcome to Jordan Space. This show does discuss themes of suicide, and we'd encourage you to take care of yourself by stepping away from the show at any point, should you find the content triggering or uncomfortable to listen to. For support, please visit our website, thejordanlegacy.com, and our help menu options. Welcome to show 21 of Jordan Space, and this week we're going to be chatting with a guest whose love of writing and creativity helped rescue him from a life of alcohol and substance misuse and self-harming, to creating a charity to help others use their creativity to support their mental health and well-being. Before then, I'd like to say hello to Danny and Paul, my regular co-hosts. And Paul, our show last week featured an inspiring interview with Bernie Hollywood OBE, who talked about his incredible challenge to row solo across the Atlantic to raise awareness for young people's mental health and suicide. What role do you feel these types of high profile campaigns and challenges play in helping prevent suicides? It's a good question, Steve, because when we talk specifically about impact in, in preventing suicides, uh, it's it's hard to actually monitor that and to get that evidence. Studies that have been done uh, tend to show that um, a lot of awareness raising campaigns don't really have any kind of particular effect other than a short term spike in, in awareness and then it uh, it goes again. So it's important that it's not just uh, a short term raising awareness, that it is consolidated, that there is a focus for a campaign, that there is uh, you know, a legacy afterward, after it, etc. I think Bernie was a good example, and he demonstrated that it was a huge challenge, and it got a lot of profile. But there's a lot of work before and after with schools. There was a lot of integration with uh, with children and young people, um, and the materials that were generated as well. I think Three Dads, which uh, you know we all praised, and Bernie himself praised. Um, you know, they've shown what can be done in terms of high profile campaigns to raise money and then high profile campaigns focused on um, changing, you know, changing the law in terms of having suicide prevention in schools. So that focus is important. It's important that they're focused and that they prompt action as well. Uh, although some people argue that we just need more of them and, and more sustained and bigger, you know, so that they eventually will have an impact. But I think important lesson we learn from the research is to um, have to prompt action and to be action focused. Yeah I, I couldn't help but, but but think you know as you were you were talking there what comes next and it's this yep. joined up approach isn't it that the action research project that we're putting together uh, is about how how do we all collaborate and and I suppose if we were looking at um, 
a kind of a, a, a future desired state. You, you would probably have other organizations almost waiting in the wings to support the three dads and support Bernie to say, right, we, we can, you know, help you with the with yeah. the next step. And if we can get this joined up approach, then we can maybe start to make some real progress and see some real action. Yeah. And I think that, you know, other things we're learning from the action research is is, is that sometimes people will say, you know, the government should do this. The government should have, you know, public health campaigns. You know, the government used to do these campaigns years ago on AIDS and, you know, safe crossing the roads and all. But the thing is, people stop and say, hey, is the government the right organisation to do this? You know, so, you know, three having three dads, I mean, it comes from lived experience and people know why they're doing it. And it has as much impact, if not more impact, than, than you know, Department of Health <laughs> doing a, a campaign. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's collaboration. Everybody's going to be focused on doing something. But as you say, how do we integrate that? How do we collaborate and have that collective impact? And and, and talking of us all being involved, Danny, um, uh, the Jordan legacy, of course, we're fortunate we, we have many supporters who are undertaking challenges and campaigns to help raise awareness about our work. Uh, and most importantly, to generate much needed funds to help us continue that work but perhaps you can give a, a, a shout out to uh, some of those who are undertaking challenges for us uh, this year and uh, and share with our listeners the kind of things they're doing yes as you say our, our fundraisers fundraisers enable us to continue the work we do because as well as the vital funds they raise for us they help to raise awareness of what we do day in and day out in suicide prevention um, we've had some brilliant fundraisers this year uh, so far and, and lined up as well. Um, we've had Alison and Paul Mitchell, who recently ran the Hardmore's Waynestones Trail Marathon. Uh, we've got 13-year-old Joseph, who, to celebrate his bar mitzvah, has been fundraising through Walk and Talks with his friends and family. Last week, uh, Imogen ran the Rob Burroughs Leeds Marathon to raise money for us, as did Gary Milner from Fit Right Fencing and Decking Company, which is based in South Yorkshire. Uh, we've got Ollie, who is running the Hamburg Half Marathon in June. We've also had uh, Racy Bauer Jiu-Jitsu Academy in Harrogate, who hosted a fantastic open day last week, raising several thousand pounds, which was just fantastic. Um, and we also have Aaron, who there's a particularly close connection to for us, as he's the brother of my partner, Matt, and he also knew John from their time at school together. And he's taken on an ultramarathon in Manchester in August. So yeah, we have some fantastic people and organisations doing some fantastic fundraising for us this year. Um, and we have been really lucky, actually, since the Jordan Legacy was founded with people who've wanted to get involved to support us and our work in preventing suicides. Well, look, thank you both. And and during our interview with, with Bernie last week, I know he also shared about the importance of creativity and the arts to help young people to better express their emotions, a topic which leads nicely into our interview with this week's guest, Paul Chambers of the Creative Mental Health Charity. Before then, let's listen to a track chosen by Paul, and this is The Thrill Is Gone by B.B. King. Hi, this is Steve. Join me every day of the week from 7 through till 10 for Yawa Breakfast right here on Yawa Radio. Probably the best way to start your day. Make a day. Join me every day, 7 till 10, Yawa Breakfast right here on Yawa Radio. Welcome back. At five years old and deeply affected by his parents' divorce, Paul Chambers developed a debilitating speech impediment. To escape the trauma he experienced caused by his stutter, 
Paul started reading grown-up books, learning different words which helped him navigate conversations and sentences that would often trip him up. Paul is now the co-founder of the creative mental health charity Poets In. And Paul, it's a real pleasure to have you join us on Jordan Space today. Thanks very much for coming along. Thank you so much for inviting me along. It's, um, it's, a, it's a pleasure and an honour to be here. Thank you. Oh, that's great. Look, we're going to be talking about your story today and, and the work that, that you're, you're doing now. Um, and during today's show, we're going to be hearing a, a number of songs you've chosen for us to play. And a moment ago, we heard The Thrill Is Gone by B.B. King. But I'd like to ask you about the track we opened the show with, which was Out of Time by Blur. I understand this song is particularly important to you. Oh, it, yes, it is. It's... Um... I mean, it's such a melancholic yet beautiful song that, um, you know, no matter what mood I'm in, if I'm in my kind of in a, in the in a dark pit of despair or I'm feeling happy, it always resonates with me. Um, it's been a huge part of my healing process through kind of various cycles of my life, where you know, whether uh, it's been a, a relationship ending or losing another job or um, you know, something awful happening. It's it. If I need to smile or I need to weep or I just need to sing along to it, it's it for me, it brings a cathartic effect. And I saw Blur live in, I think it's Finsbury Park, and uh, I made my way down to the front on my own and just bawled my eyes out singing along to that. It's such a beautiful song. So thank you so much for playing it. Not at all. Look, the power of music. We're going to hear some more great tracks from you uh, today as well. Look, in introducing you to our listeners, I, I mentioned about your very early childhood uh, when your parents divorced, and clearly this had a profound impact on you. And I mentioned that you started to read more adult books as a form of escape um, from the stutter that you, you developed. Um, clearly that had a profound impact on you as well. But I understand this led to you developing a passion for writing. Yes. What were some of the things you were writing about at that time? I very much dove into fiction, and the fiction was quite dark. I was quite obsessed with skeletons, with zombies, with ghosts, with... Um, uh, I'd often... The stories would be, in my mind, a huge adventure or as I liked to say escapade and I've got um, stories from when I was eight or nine where the um, where the, where, the, where the teachers would say it's a bit adult Paul um, because I'd, I'd kind of try to use these new words that I've found and whether I was reading and 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 the reading tended to be very dark or something like Tolkien where um, you know literally go in not literally but um, metaphorically literally go into um, completely new worlds but with the writing yeah it was um I, I was always the hero i was always battling evil um i'd always overcome it and um come out of it with some sort of moral moral lesson clearly i was um going through some things now you talked about your teachers responding at eight or nine years old but at 10 years old you you moved from the UK to go and live on a forces base in, in Germany with your mum and stepdad. Now, you describe your mum and stepdad as being austere and, and very much like something straight out of a Dickens novel. Yes. My dad was very much a nurturing one, uh, but my mum got custody of me and is very linear in her approach to things and children should be seen and not heard. There's love there. There is love there, but she just doesn't really know how to show it. And she married quite quickly to um, my stepdad, who, yeah, was very much... Uh, he, he was a Victorian-era uh, morals-type person. We actually lived off-base in a German town, 
so we didn't even have the community of the base so we would we would uh, we found ourselves in germany but actually in a german town um quite isolated and um i hated being in germany i hated being there i hated the school i went to i hated being away from my friends and the isolation um and the not having a voice not having an audience not having my my safe people around me it really really affected me and and um yeah it led to led to me going down some dark paths at quite an early age now i understand around this time it, you you began self-harming and, and how yeah. much of that self-harming was was down to the environment you you were living in or was it a combination of of factors i think i think it was um the need there started when I was younger and I didn't understand the process of, of, um, of divorce and I, and I thought my dad was going away, wait, wait forever and that, and that relationship was always really, really strong. But then being taken away from that without any agency, um, any choice, just being plonked into this new country, um, I think there was a, like a perfect storm that led to that and uh, I can specifically remember a time in my bedroom in the German house where my uh, fairly undeveloped thinking was that I, I just I'm, I was going to stab myself to get some to get some attention to get some sort of uh, uh, you know support some sort of love. Paul, I can imagine the impact that that have would have on you with divorce with living in an unfamiliar place not being happy where you were and we're obviously going to learn a lot more about the impacts that it had just out of interest um did it also impact adversely on your sister um emotionally yes and my my sister's um uh been through a lot of therapy later on in life when she also discovered that um these impacts had uh, 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 kind of resonated quite, quite harshly on her, but how she reacted to it at the time was very different. She immersed herself completely in study and she, so where I, I got into bad habits, she kind of got into good habits and, um, and ended up quite a rounded package until kind of later on in life, she realized like social anxiety that she's, she's struggled with and, um, various other things she, she had to go through counselling for so it impacted on us both but in very right. different ways ultimately were you, were you close yes end? extremely extremely okay. um we kind of, it it pushed us together if anything she went off to the boarding school a little earlier than i did because we went to the same uh, same boarding school so my isolation kind of um uh increased for i think a year she was there a year before before i was but when we were together we were very much a unit because it was um, us against world. We shared music, we shared books, um, and we shared a lot of common interests. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, Paul, obviously the, the books that you started reading when you were young, they helped you with your stutter in terms of expanding your vocabulary and helping you to perhaps avoid words that were more difficult to say. But do you think, and, and maybe without really realising, the types of books that you were reading were maybe having a negative impact on sort of how you were feeling or, or did you not see it like that at all? Because you're obviously reading quite dark things, weren't you, which you would might think weren't, wouldn't necessarily be helpful to somebody that, you know, maybe was already going through some difficulties anyway. That's a brilliant question. Um, and I think 
possibly at the time, if anyone had, uh, I mean, it was the seventies, so no one really cared, but, um, but, but if anyone had actually, um, stood back and, and, and thought about that, they might've asked, asked that, that question. But I know now, um, as a point of reference now, you know, the things we, we deal with, the conversations that we have, the, the weight we, we carry on our shoulders, my outlet is the darkest, either true crime or the darkest horror, um, because it's almost as if we are processing real horror and real darkness in our everyday lives. And to have some a fictional version of it for me kind of gives me some sort of balance and gives me some sort of outlet. But um, I don't know. Some might argue that having that horrific outlet did give me that balance and gave me that gave me that 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 outlet. But that's a brilliant question, one I've never really thought about before. And I'll come back to you when I've researched it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, Paul, I, I heard you mention just a few moments ago, in fact, when you were responding to to our poll there that, about boarding school. Uh, you know, from I understand from your your story that this was really the start of a downward spiral um, for you. You began to have problems with alcohol and substance misuse during that time. Can you tell us a little bit about those times? Absolutely, yes. So um, the so I was uh, two years after moving out to Germany, we went we went to the boarding school, but it was it was weekday boarding. So we went off on a Monday, came back on a Friday and I began to go off on a Monday morning. I had this I remember this army like camo camouflage army bottle um, that I'd fill up with little bits from all of the spirit bottles in the in the pantry um, so that it wasn't as trackable and um, I called it rocket fuel I think everyone calls it rocket fuel and it and it got me through the week that's uh, I mean I was what 12 13 years old got me through the week I was four foot eleven I was a child I, I, I was complete I was a very late developer anyway and um and it was it was the beginning of nearly 30 years of um substance abuse um alcoholism and then that bled into kind of um sneaking that um into my room at weekends as well and then that led to um there was a lot there seemed to be a lot more prescribed pills then and I'd 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 come back to England in um in in holidays, um every single holiday I came back because I I, I missed I missed home so much and I remember going if I was in my nan and granddad's house they had because they were older they had a lot of pills in bottles prescribed pills, and I just started taking them I, I didn't know what they did, I didn't care what they did that was part of the. The, the thrill, I just keep snaffling these pills and popping them. Um, and of course, that was a gateway. You know, I'd, 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 I'd done the two things that really were um, gateways to uh, a, a life of abuse from that. And, it, you know, very easy led into smoking, into uh, smoking solid and then weed and then pills and powders all the way up to pretty much as bad as you can you can get and even dealing to um, to supplement, you know, to, to support my um, habit. It was, uh, and it, it was completely unchecked. Well, I'm just thinking about listeners uh, tuning into the show or listening to the recording and hearing about you 
talking about all these years of all these issues that you were facing and um, you know nothing happening, nobody uh, you know nobody intervening or anything like that. We often hear in mental health people talk about you know encouraging people to reach out for help, but those who are really struggling don't reach out for help. They need people to reach in. So, in terms of you know drinking alcohol at such a young age in a boarding school. And then everything else from that, it just sounds extraordinary that nobody picked up at any stage on this. I mean, were there outward signs that you were showing? Were there times when you felt somebody should have noticed and intervened? Um, you would think retrospectively, yes. However, I do know, I, do, I, do, I don't drink anymore, but um, I do know when I did, I could hide being drunk very very well and this clearly was some bizarre superpower that i had from an early age or came from the practice of hiding it from a very early age i still don't really understand why no one smelt it on me um saw me stumbling around maybe i was um maybe it was, it was the alcohol version of micro dosing that throughout throughout the course of a week a liter of spirits was just keeping that edge off enough, but didn't I didn't do it enough to kind of be stumbling around all over the place. And that's that's the lesson, isn't it? Because people might have a stereotypical image in their mind of the stumbling alcoholic, of the um, you know of the rich, thin uh, drug addict, etc., and think it's obvious. But there's the lesson yeah. that it isn't. Yeah. And again, you've got to ask questions and you've got to care about people and reach in. I heard you mention as well that this was kind of a gateway in many respects for the next thirty years of your yeah life um you talked about dealing um i know you've mentioned in the past about getting into debt and all kinds of of, of issues but i've also heard you, you you talk in the past about how this was maybe uh, masking adhd and ocd and uh general anxiety disorder and 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 just talk a little bit about how, how did that recognition come about that that in fact there were underlying issues that were maybe causing you to go through these actions and behaviours? But um, my diagnoses didn't really start until about nine, nine years ago. And it, it, it wasn't until I, I, you know, I cleaned up, I'd developed a pretty rampant stomach ulcer that the, the, the doctor had said, if you don't change your lifestyle. And I had a very honest um, relationship with my doctor, fortunately. Um, he said, if you don't start changing your ways, you know, it could rupture and you could die from it. And it's a bit of a wake up call. So um, I kind of began to change my ways and I cleaned up and it wasn't until I cleaned up and the, and, the, and, and the clarity kind of made me break apart. And then I began to learn about myself. And when I learned about myself, particularly with the ADHD and finding out that, you know, with, with some people, um, uh, stimulants can actually create a, create a, a a balance that you you don't naturally have that that you have that chemical imbalance and you're and you're constantly like this and so I, I, there was a year where where i had to have a line of coke before i went to bed um and it was actually a doctor that said possibly that was you that was you leveling things off and i realized i was numbing numbing these feelings that i was having um to cope I understand, you know, there came a period where, you know, with all this going on for you, that, that you really did look at, at ending your, your life as well. But 
what what was what was it that that ultimately stopped you going ahead and with that that decision i can be quite pragmatic when i need to be and i can see two sides to a story and even when i was feeling at my most destitute and feeling like i was a burden to everybody um and having been on the other side of losing someone to suicide um i i think i've lost seven seven friends now um to suicide and seen the impact that that has ultimately there was a part of me that knew what that would do to my parents to my loved ones um but i just thought like the re the repercussions of it would be yeah. awful paul thanks very much for now we're going to take a little bit of a breather a lot you've unpacked uh there and we're going to listen to another music track you've chosen now um by David Sylvian from the band Japan. I remember this one really well, uh, which is called Ghosts. Um, you've talked about writing about ghosts, but why have you chosen about you know chosen for us to play this particular song? So this coincides with when I was in Germany and music was such a huge release for me, was um, uh, a huge escape for me. And there was something about the new romantic era of music. And I think this this epitomizes the dark beauty of what was coming out of music at that time. But the fact it's so dark, it's so pared back and yet so beautiful. And he he is, and I didn't realize this at the time, but he is talking about his own mental health within this song. It resonated with me so much because it was obviously speaking to me about my mental health. Right, well, I think that's the perfect introduction. Let's listen to Ghosts by David Sylvian and Japan. Yawa Radio, bringing the feel-good feeling to every day. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, we're talking with our guest, Paul Chambers, who is co-founder of the creative mental health charity Poets Inn. Uh, Paul, obviously, your journey over 30 years, you just shared with us, but it um, ultimately led to you publishing your first fiction book, and meeting the co-founder, uh, now that you work closely with, Sammy. Tell us a little bit about how that, that came about, that meeting, and, and where your first piece of work really started with the charity. Yeah, so um, so yes, I, I kind of, after I broke apart, I left um, the commercial world, if you like, wrote, wrote my book, which had started 14 years earlier, the scorched earth thing that um, I wrote in a fit of rage, and kind of epitomizes sort of what we do now as a charity. So 14 years later, it was ready. It was um, very much a venting process. It was a work of passion. And um, I learned to do digital marketing as well. Uh, competitions for people to feature in the book that would be dispatched for the very thing that was their pet hate because it, it was about a person that kind of uh, dispatched people that were rude or bad mannered to him and that resonated with sammy who read it she got in touch on on twitter saying i loved your book and we got talking and there's a shared love of words shared love of um uh writing and reading and um, she was actually working for an online reading and writing community run by some American people. And uh, she was tasked with the um, with building the user base. So did I want to come across and do it? I did. 
we worked on that for a while. It was pretty successful um, what we were charged to do, but they were very good at running a business. So, but whilst doing that, we had had messages because we'd we'd stripped away the hierarchy of this website. We'd made it supportive. We'd made it troll free. We'd made it a positive place to be and as a result increased the usership hugely but we were getting messages from people all around the world saying how having this safe place had helped them um, manage uh, manage, uh, their well-being mental health and suicidal thoughts and Sammy came up with the idea of um, utilizing this safe space kind of outlet thing um, in some sort of workshop and we approached Peterborough Prison and trialed it there for two years. We ended up being there on and off two years of holding a safe space for people using um, creative writing as an outlet, using kind of um, holding a safe space um, on a regular basis to people that didn't have necessarily have an audience or, or a voice. And we saw people manage addictions. We saw people manage self-harm. We saw people manage rehabilitation, come off medication, um, uh, take up completely. Like one one person did a journalism course. It was just that, it's just this thing of beauty. There were, there were real measurable impacts from yes. this workshop you were running. Absolutely, and we actually implemented as a result because we we're so blown away. We implemented this measurements matrix um, so that we could effectively measure it, and were blown away. And still now, nearly seven years later, we continue to be blown away by the efficacy of it. Uh, you know, we've, we've honed what it is that we do and we've kind of broken it down. We have like, we have a core product that can run up to a 10 week program, but we've got various other things like workshops and a buddy service and, um, assemblies and kind of one-to-ones and mentoring. But the, 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 the core of it sort of remains the same, but, um, we're in so many places and even the NHS socially prescribers, which blows my tiny mind. And, you know, we're now in our sixth year as a, as a charity, and it's still blowing us away, the efficacy for all ages that started in the prison way, way back. Oh, it's great, Paul, to hear that you were doing that pilot work in prisons. Uh, we talk about having a captive audience, right? Um, so you've said that it had tremendous impact. You created the safe space, tremendous impact that it had. But what exactly was it you were doing in prisons? It was a variety of things, but it was all based around putting pen to paper. And that was anything from some something we do, which is called free thought writing, where we just for 10 minutes invite people to sit with their thoughts, however dark and intrusive, however haphazard, chaotic, um, whether it's a shopping list or song lyrics or, oh, my God, I need a wee to just write it down exactly as it comes through your head and recognize them for the thoughts they are, write it down um, without fear of it being creative or anything and then tearing it up at the end. And I'll put some chilled music on and kind of, um, and the catharsis and the therapy that comes from that is kind of like yoga for the brain. So that'd be one of the things that just, it's given people tools to kind of de-stress and decompress. We talk about maybe depression or anxiety where we'd write a, a, a goodbye letter to depression, like where you're, you're effectively um, breaking up with depression and why you're breaking up with, with depression. And effectively, it's getting people into the habit of, um, I suppose, communicating what they're feeling in here and in here and getting it out there and um, what they do with it then. 
um, you know, whether they turn it into something creative or they destroy it, but it, it, it's to stop carrying it around, actually writing about what you're feeling through your body so it can't help but create some sort of mindfulness um, in people that might not necessarily be able to achieve mindfulness because of their busy minds. And you had prisoners who embraced that rather than... Yes, that yes. Was, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, it, we had waiting lists for two years. It was um, having, having an outlet, and sometimes we would have to, and this was something Sammy and I learned very early doors, that we had to be less uh, controlling because we go in there with this, the, this idea of what we were going to do. And for the first couple of months or so, it, it didn't really work because we were so focused on doing what we wanted to do that we didn't read the room. And when we learned that actually each time you're meeting, even if, if it's exactly the same people, when they, you know, there were some transient people for obvious reasons um, in there, but uh, the fact that actually it's as effective if you wanted to do an exercise on anxiety or depression, that maybe they're not in the mood to write, but to talk about it, it's just outlets, outlets, but the vegetables were hidden in the food um, hmm. by just kind of getting people to put pen to paper and purge and vent um, in a safe and supportive environment. And it was, it, was, it was a thing of beauty. And we saw, you know, people that you'd be scared of outside of outside of those, those four walls open up and write some of the most beautiful stuff because they were finally being given a voice. And seeing people say, this is incredible, I love this, I love this, I love this, and kind of handing it over to him, the hairs are going up on my arms now, and seeing the pride. Well, I just wondered what sort, what age does the charity start working with, and, and is there an, obviously a different approach to that, obviously, than working with those maybe in the prison sector and, and from that side of it? Actually, we, uh, we have worked with as low as eight years old. Um, ultimately, we do want to go lower than that, but... Um, I mean, I've, I've been into schools where where the kids were about to move move up a move up a year and were feeling anxious about that and kind of packaging um, packaging it in a slightly different way as to um, how to get them to talk about that and to talk about you know the worries they can do something about and the worries they can't um, because they're not they don't really have the have the focus to do the worry diary which is one of our one of the tools that we teach but after that so about ten years and upwards it's essentially the same structured modular 10 90 minute um, modules that we use because the the content is very much driven by the uh, by the people that are on it regardless of age there are there's literally some language differences like if we're talking about um, the stress bucket for example those stresses going into people's bucket will be academic rather than work or you know they won't be trying to pay the mortgage but they will be worrying if their friends don't like them in answer to your question, we don't really change what it is that we do because the people at any age, at any creative level, at any kind of um, uh, anything that they're going through, it's them that, 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 that change, change the kind of fruits of it, the, 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 the out, output from it. And I think actually children resonate with that because children don't like to be talked down to. Um Paul, it's been been fascinating to hear about the work you're doing and the success. And I think a couple of things just to take away from from what you've said toward the end there, particularly in relation to Danny's question as, as well, 
is we, we interviewed Bernie Hollywood for our, our last show, um, who talked a lot about creativity and, and how when he was rowing solo across the Atlantic, um, he he would read and, and look at the drawings and creative writing provided by young people from a, from a school in Derry in Ireland that helped him get through. But just the expression that these young children were able to share about how they were feeling. Um, and, it, and it does seem that, that it doesn't matter what the age is, uh, allowing us to find our inner child maybe and our inner creativity is so important. I, I took away the importance of continually being able to provide a safe space for people yes. and, and listening. It's something we talk about in suicide prevention all the time, genuinely listening uh, yes. to people and listening with our eyes as much as our, our, our ears as well is really important and be non-judgmental. You know, all these things came across from what you shared with us here. All these things we talk about when having a conversation with someone who might be considering ending their own lives. So I think it's been really fascinating to listen to to what you're doing and thanks so much for sharing that with us because we want to end every show on a message of hope i think it's really important if, if you have really a message for for anyone who's kind of struggling whatever age they're in at the moment what would your message of hope be particularly considering your journey in life i would say to always remember that your past doesn't define you at any age at any stage in your life what has happened to you doesn't have to dictate what your future is. And so often the change comes from communicating and reaching out and asking for help. And if that seems insurmountable, just do it in small, small ways, but do it, reach out, screw the stigma and screw your past. Fantastic. Well, what a great message uh, to end on. But before we go, we, we, we're going to play a couple of more tracks. The one we've chosen to, to leave just now on is, is A Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong. A little different to some of the other tracks because we're going to close with the walk by from Foo Fighters. But tell us a little bit why Louis Armstrong in this particular track. Uh, well, <laughs> it's just a thing of beauty. And uh, again, whatever mood I'm in, um, this song, it kind of, it, it, it serves to me to remind me about simple pleasures in life and to take a breath and kind of look around. Um, and it, it, and of course his voice, his voice is like, it, it, it's just a beautiful thing. It's like, I think I said, um, uh, before it's like honey and bourbon, um, to kind of just explain these simplistic pleasures. It can lift you. It can guide you to reflect on the good things in life and um, all through the power of music. Fantastic. Well, what a wonderful track to say, uh, Paul Chambers. Thanks very much for joining us today on uh, Jordan Space. Let's listen to A Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong. And Danny, Paul and myself will be right back for a roundup of today's conversation. Thank you, Paul. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Now, would you like your favourite song played on the radio? Your song could be from the 70s, 80s, 90s, or even the noughties. We'd love to play your song right here on Yawa Radio. How do you do it? It is so simple. All you need to do is email studio at yawaradio.co.uk. That's studio at yawaradio.co.uk. Just let us know your name, let us know the name of the song, and we could be playing your favourite song right here on Yawa Radio. Studio 
at yarraradio.co.uk. Well, welcome back, uh, everyone. And uh, Danny and Paul, uh, a great conversation there uh, with Paul about uh, his life experience and the work he's doing with the Creative Mental Health Charity and Poets Inn. Um, Danny, what, what were some of the things you've taken away from our conversation with Paul today? Yeah, I just I think he had such an inspirational story and he'd gone through so much from a very early age, yet he was able to come out the other side and, and even thrive because of that. And then obviously going on to help others through the charity. And I think it really does show that even in the worst of times, there's always hope and things can always get better. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Really inspiring. Paul, how about yourself? What were some of the key takeaways? Paul ended up with that message of hope, didn't he, about your future doesn't isn't determined by your by your past. Uh, but we know from listening to these kind of guests that their past or what they're doing now isn't defined by their past, but it's informed by their past. And, and they achieve these amazing things, some would say despite their past. But then again, in some respects, it's because of their past and they're drawing from that lived experience. So there's all those kind of lessons there. I think also for me, uh, what sticks in my mind is is all those years with alcoholism and an addiction and an abuse of, of himself and self-harming and nobody picking that up. Yeah, I think that's quite scary when you hear those stories. And, and even, you know, it's his own sister. He had that very close relationship with, um, you know, he's hiding it, hiding his drinking from her and so on. So it, it emphasizes the need for us to, as I reach out or reach into people rather than expecting them to reach out for help and the signs aren't always obvious these these are lessons we need to keep reminding ourselves of and and also everybody has an individual story so just contrasting his sister's journey and Paul's journey um you know in in the face of the same circumstances so yeah lots of great lessons there fantastic work that Paul's doing and another great sharing of a great story. Well, thank you both. And that is it for another episode of Jordan Space. Uh, my thanks to Danny and Paul and to our guests this week, Paul Chambers of the Creative Mental Health Charity Poets Inn. Thank you also for tuning in. I hope you found today's discussion interesting and insightful. And if you have felt inspired to support our work to help prevent suicides, please do get in touch either via our website at thejordanlegacy.com or by emailing hello at thejordanlegacy.com. You can also engage with us on our social media by following the Jordan Legacy CIC's LinkedIn company page. We're also on Twitter and Instagram using the username at Jordan Legacy UK. And of course, you can find us on Facebook at The Jordan Legacy. You can listen to recordings of all our previous shows on our website by choosing the menu Jordan Space. For now, from Danny, Paul and myself, we'd like to wish you a safe, healthy and above all hopeful rest of your week. And we're going to leave you with one final track chosen by Paul, and that is Walk by the Foo Fighters. Yawa Radio, bringing the feel-good feeling to every day. A big thank you for taking the time out to listen to this podcast from the team at Yawa Radio. Remember to check us out live online 24 hours a day, seven days a week at yawaradio.co.uk. And if you'd like to join us as a guest on Yawa Radio or as a guest on the Yawa Radio podcast, we would love to hear from you. Simply email studio at yawaradio.co.uk. Once again, a big thank you for taking the time out to listen. This is the Yawa Radio podcast. Copyright applies.